Today, we begin a new series that will take us through the month of December called The Gift of Rest. We're going to see some biblical examples of what it means to rest in the knowledge of a loving creator God who has promised us salvation and eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. As a culture, we tend to neglect or resist rest in our daily lives. And often the things that we do that we think are restful actually aren't. So this series is my gift to you this Christmas. And hopefully it will increase our faith and our trust in the Lord. And as a result, we will experience true rest in him. So as we begin this series, I want to tell you a story. The last time that I was at Yosemite, I was hiking on one of Yosemite's lesser known summits. It was this trail that I'd read reviews on and I'd heard about one of the park's hidden gems that not a lot of people go to. And it was a long and steep trail, but I was told that the views from the top were well worth the effort that I was making. On my way up, there were some very interesting people coming back on their way down. First, I passed a guy named Chuck Feeney. I recognized him right away. I'd seen an article that Forbes magazine did on him that was called, The Billionaire Who Wanted to Die Broke Is Now Officially Broke. Feeney set a new standard in philanthropy for the super wealthy by committing to give away all of his money, except for a small portion that he could live out his retirement on. In donations to charities and universities and human rights organizations, he gave over $8 billion. That's billion with a B. Nine zeros. Tres comas. Feeney made it to the very top. He earned more money than everyone in our church combined will ever see in our lives. And then he gave it all away. And as he was coming down on the trail that day, while I was going up, he said one thing to me. He told me, it's not worth it. Hmm, okay. But I kept going. Next, I had to scoot over and make room on the trail for a group of uh, hip-looking 30-somethings that were coming back down on their hike together. And I didn't remember their names at the time, but I recognized them from that documentary that everyone kept telling me I had to see. You've got to see this documentary. It's crazy. It's called The Social Dilemma. You probably had people tell you, you've got to see it too. These hikers were former app designers for tablets and smartphones, and they were CEOs and chief developers for companies like Apple, Facebook, and Pinterest. They made these platforms huge and they developed ways to make uh, these social media apps more and more addictive. But then this group of tech leaders saw the error of their ways and now they speak out against the dangers of our society's obsessions with social media and the addiction we have to our screens. And as they were coming down and they passed me that day, they said the same thing that Chuck Feeney said. They said, it's not what you think at the top. It's not really worth it. I was thinking, man, this destination wasn't getting very good reviews. This is surprising. But I was already more than halfway there, so I had to keep going. I had to go and see what all the fuss was about. And the last person that I saw coming down as I was going up that day was Francis Chan, a Christian author and a speaker. You may have heard of him. You may have read some of his books. He's the founding pastor of Cornerstone Church down in Simi Valley. And he started a church of just a handful of people, and then it grew into thousands. But Francis Chan stopped believing in the big church model. What he saw each Sunday was thousands of people showing up and watching him on a stage exercising his spiritual gift of preaching, rather than each of them going out and using their spiritual gifts for the sake of God's kingdom. So he said, this isn't what church should be. I quit. He left the big church. He left the big stage. He left the big salary behind because he saw that discipleship truly happens on the ground level. 
one-on-one, -on -one, ordinary Christians sharing their faith with people. And as he passed me that day, he said, you know, I've been up there. It's really not worth it. You're better off down there. So all these people, they made it to the top and they came back down and reported, it's not really worth it. So what was I going to do? Do I take their word for it? Do I keep going? Maybe, maybe I'll have a better experience than they did. I mean, after all, I'd heard from so many people that this was the path that I should be on. These people planted the seed of doubt in my mind that day, which made me stop and ask an important question. Will the path that I'm on now get me where I actually want to be? We need to ask that same question when it comes to our pace of life and what we do with our time and what we put our trust in. Will the path that I'm on now get me where I actually want to be? Or like that Yosemite climb, is it just going to make me exhausted and never really pay off? This year has certainly been a crazy storm of sorts. With quarantine, the world slowed down, but then somehow our lives became even more frantic and anxious. Do you remember at the beginning of the pandemic when people were stockpiling toilet paper and Lysol wipes? And there were those signs that they would post outside of the grocery stores saying which items were in stock and which items they were completely sold out of. Remember that? Well, I'm starting to see those signs again. It's coming back around. People are nervous about how they're going to survive the chaotic changes in our world. We've, some people have found that they're not commuting as much, and so they should have more time at home for, for rest and time with their families. But instead, work has invaded our homes and then blurred the boundary line between being on and being off the clock. Our political climate shows that we are generally not in a state of rest. People often spoke of the election this year in terms of life and death. This candidate means prosperity. This other candidate means disaster. We've got half the population working hard trying to secure themselves from the virus, and the other half is working hard trying to secure themselves from the social restrictions and limitations because of the virus. We're consuming more and more media, and our screen time, as well as our depression and anxiety, seem to be rising in tandem. Our days are longer, and our nights are shorter. And even if we spend more time indoors with the people we feel closest to, we still somehow feel distant from them. It's like we've become allergic to the thing that we are most lacking, rest. But even this idea makes us uncomfortable. How can we possibly rest in a world that needs our constant attention and participation? I mean, I got to be doing something. Well, we're followers of Jesus, so let's take that question to the master. Jesus seemed pretty well rested. He didn't seem stressed out or anxious or hurried. Why not? That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. 
This story is an amazing image of Jesus as God demonstrating power over nature. And that's a main goal that Mark has in his gospel, revealing who Jesus is, which includes his divine status. He is God in human form. Now, we can't calm crazy storms like that, but we shouldn't feel bad about that because we're not God. We're not supposed to be able to do that part of this story. But in this story, Jesus does give us another example that we can follow, and it's the example of Jesus at peace, sleeping in the boat amidst the chaotic, dangerous storm. Now, at the time, his disciples probably didn't think that this was a great example that he was setting for them. Remember, they were freaking out. They're yelling at him, wake up, Jesus. And when the experienced fishermen are concerned with this kind of storm, then you know that it's no joke. Whenever I'm on an airplane and there's turbulence or, or plane noises that I'm not sure about and they make me nervous, I always look at the flight attendants as a gauge for how concerned I should be. So if the plane's bouncing around in the sky and they're still serving ginger ale and pretzels with a smile on their faces, then we're good. We're fine. But if you hear, hit some bumps and then they hurry and strap themselves in and get on the phone and start telling their kids they love them, now we might be in some trouble. Well, in the boat with Jesus, the seasoned sailors are scared. In the old King James translation, they shout to Jesus, Carest thou not that we perish? Essentially, they're shouting to him, Don't you care, Lord? Our society gets that, I think. If you're, if you're not running around and doing something, then that means you don't really care. You need to work harder, make it better, do it faster. It makes us stronger. More than ever, hour after hour, work is never over. But to that, Jesus says, no, that's not really the way. You might ask me, where's your concern? But I want to ask you, where's your faith? Jesus is not worried. He wakes up and he turns off the storm just as easily as you might turn off your bedroom light before you go to sleep. Calming the storm is not the hard part. The hard part is sleeping during the storm. Resting in the knowledge that God is with us. And one way or another, he will take care of us. This requires faith and it requires trust. These fishermen, they're still discovering who Jesus is and they're going to have to learn this. They were scared and they were frantic because they were unsure about the future. But we have the advantage over them, knowing who Jesus is and how his story ends and knowing that our story is directly connected to that story. Our hope is in Christ. And while we may be unsure about some aspects of our future, we know that we ultimately have a future with God. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. That's kept in heaven for us. So here's that question again. Will the path I'm on now get me where I actually want to be? How many people coming down that mountain that we're climbing will it take for us to stop and check our bearings? Check your pulse, check your heart, check your faith. Check and see whether or not you have your eyes fixed on Jesus. We need to cultivate the discipline of rest, knowing when we're at our limit, knowing when to let go and let God. Back on the airplane, if the cabin loses pressure and the oxygen masks come dangling down from the overhead area, what do they always tell you to do? Put your own mask on first, and then you can help somebody else with their mask. Why? 
Because if you try to meet all those other needs, but you haven't gotten yourself what you need, you're not going to be able to help anyone. In this series, we're going to examine how rest is linked to our faith and trust in God and ask ourselves how we're doing in those areas. We're going to look at the biblical concept of Sabbath and how that should play into the rhythms of our daily lives. And together, we are going to pray, Lord, increase our faith. If you want a homework assignment this week, here it is. You don't even need to write it down. It's real simple. Sleep. Go to bed early. Take a nap. Turn off the news, turn off your phone, and turn on a blanket. And if I say that, and just the thought of losing that much of your productivity hours makes you feel stressed out, then that might be a good sign that you need this. This is a good prescription for you. That maybe you've been running at a pace that you were never meant to sustain, and you're trudging up a mountain that's just not worth it. Each time you stop doing so that you can rest, it's an expression of trust. It's an exercise in letting go of control and trusting in the Lord to give you what you need. It's really an act of worship, if you think about it. It's you saying, God, you are Lord. I want you to be in charge. Way before the stormy boat ride in Jesus' life, Jesus was born into some pretty chaotic circumstances. An evil despot named Herod was trying to kill him. His mother had to give birth while she was traveling. He was born among all these animals. And there was some kid playing drum solos by his manger for some reason. But baby Jesus still slept. He didn't need to do anything at that point. He just was. He knew that he was safe. He knew he was loved. I think we tend to lose that certainty as we get older. But it doesn't seem like Jesus ever did. I hope that we can recapture that same kind of trust in our Heavenly Father that enables us to stop and to rest. Right now, I want to invite you to just take a deep breath in and out with me. Just know that you are loved and you are known by your Father, your Heavenly Father, your Creator. Take one more deep breath. Just breathe that, breathe that truth in and let it out and pray with me. Lord God, we thank you so much for your Son, Jesus. We thank you for the great love that you have for us and that you've shown through Him. And we thank you for His example of trusting in you. God, we want that same kind of trust. So we do pray, increase our faith, increase our trust in you. Help us to walk with confidence, knowing that you got us, that we are yours and that you are taking care of us. And Lord, as we examine our lives and just figure out what it is that we're doing too much of, we're relying too much on ourselves, we're holding on too tightly, we, we pray that you will help us release that control and find rest in our lives. And not just more sleep, not just, just being unconscious more, but Lord, we pray that we truly find rest in you and that gives us the peace that comes from heaven. I pray this for our congregation. I pray this for our world. I pray that as we ease into this season of celebration and anticipation that uh, these truths will be uh, manifest in our lives. Give us your peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry.